It's 11.06. I'm going to encourage you because it's just 10.06 in Alabama. All right, so it's 10.06 in Alabama, so we've got plenty of time. We're not in any big rush this morning. Actually, I will be in a little bit of a rush. I'll tell some of you who are visiting with us this morning, I'll encourage you to do what I tell my congregation to do often, is, uh, is to buckle up, okay? So get, grab, grab your seatbelt over there and buckle up because we're going we're gonna to move real fast this morning. Uh, I don't know how much this I'll get through. I'm, I'm beginning... What will be a series, I just don't know how the series is going to work out. It might be two weeks, it might be three weeks, but it's a series that's actually going to extend into next year with the topic that we're looking at. But we've got to lay some foundation work, and that's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks, is just foundational. I'll ask you as we get started to turn to to, to, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to read a little bit from there, highlight a couple of things, and then I'll reference you to another passage of Scripture that we'll get to. So as we get started, I know Pastor Ernst prayed, but I I want to I want to settle my heart. So let's uh, let's go again to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I, again, I thank you for this time. And Lord, as we come to the special time in the service of the, the reading, the proclaiming of your word, the teaching, the preaching of your word. God, I pray that you would give me clarity in my thoughts and in my speech. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to every heart. Lord, each one of us, myself included, we're, we're all at a different place We have different things that are going on and pulling on us this morning. We have different needs. We have different challenges. And Lord, I pray that uh, the the Holy Spirit of God will meet each one of us right where we are and help us with the need that we have. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you today. If that drawing is for salvation, then so be it. If that drawing is for a recommitment of our lives to you, Lord, then so be it. If it's for confession of sin, then Lord, I pray that we would just come right now humbly before your word and uh, Lord, just be obedient to whatever it is that you would speak to us today. Lord, just bless now and move and we'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4. I'll be there in just a moment, but as we get there, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy what would be his last letter. He, he's no longer under a mild house arrest, but as Paul is writing this, he's now in a horrible dungeon in Rome. It's in a hole-in-a-wall cell with a little hay for his bed and perhaps a, a stone for his pillow. And he, 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 he's writing, indicating that he knows his time in this life is drawing to an end. He is aware of, of what is happening and what is about to happen with him. Now, I'd ask you this this morning. If you were in that situation, if you knew that you were writing your last letter, and, and this was the last time you could put your thoughts on paper, what would it be that you would say? What would you find so important to share? And what we find here is that Paul shares with Timothy what he thinks is the most important things that Timothy needs to hear. And I would say that what we need to hear today. And so here he is. So we're going to break into Paul's letter here. And we're looking here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And we're going to pick up his line of thinking. And he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a simple charge as he tells him. I charge you. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. That's what he tells Timothy. Preach the word. This is the command he gives. Preach the word. It's a word we all need to hear. He says, be ready in season and out of season. It means always be ready to preach the word. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. 
Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, we're in that day today. We've come to a place where, where folks in the pews, in the churches, do not endure. They cannot endure. They will not endure. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. When I say sound, we're talking about solid, fundamental truth in the teaching, in the preaching of the Word of God. But, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their eyes away from the truth and be turned away to fables. Folks, that's a, that's a place where we're at today. I think all through history you could point to times where that has been the case. You could certainly through all through history point to churches that that was the case from this time to now. But today we're in a day where that is prevalent in our churches. A turning away from the truth, a turning to fables. Verse 5, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministries. So as, as we read last week, the early church came under attack. We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira, and Satan was bringing an attack from within. The church was already under persecution from without, outside of the church, but there was attacks from within, from the people who were inside the church. And uh, so not only from outside is there these attacks, but from inside as well. We saw that last week. And now Timothy, he's experiencing the same satanic attacks in his ministry. There are attacks that are coming from outside. But the greater danger we find is from the attacks that are coming from inside. You know, this is, this is even, this is extra, this is bonus. But you know, I don't, I don't remember, I, I hate when I quote something. I hate when something comes to mind and I start to talk about it and I go, I don't know who said it. I don't know when they said it. But, but here's what's been said. If America was ever going to go down, it wouldn't be from outside sources. It would be from within. It would be brought down from within. And, and you know, that's what we're seeing. But the, w w with anything like that, that's what we're seeing within the church today. And it's not the persecution. We can look around right now and go, in America, are we, as a church, are we being held down? Or, 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 or the problems we're having as a church because of persecution from outside? And I would say, no. Persecution will bring purity in the church. What we have are problems within the church. And they're, they're problems inside of the church. And... Um, and we live in a time where we're facing the same attacks that, that, that Paul, Peter faced with, there with Ananias and Sapphira. We face, we're facing the same things that Timothy was facing at this time. We live at a time in which truth has been devalued and tolerance has been embraced and even enthroned. In many ways, tolerance and political correctness and pluralism have become the religion of the day in America. Look at other religions. We see this. In Hinduism, Hinduism says that God has incarnated himself many times. We say that he's only incarnated himself once. You know, we can't, we can't both be right in that. Judaism says that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Well, we say that he was. They can't be right and us right as well. The, the Buddhist says that if, if we just clean up our act and we, we do a little better, we live a little more loyalty that loyal or, or morally, then God will accept us. But we say that we cannot clean up our act and God will not accept us on the basis of what we do. We cannot be both right. Amen? If we look at our culture around us, it says that God accepts me just the way I am and that God made me this way and that a loving God would not send a person to hell. And we say God hates our sin. God did not make us this way and our, our loving God does not send anyone to hell. We cannot both be right. 
We say life begins at birth, or they say life begins at birth. We say life begins at conception. They say there's more, uh, there, there's more than two genders. We say there are only two genders. They say everything started from nothing with a big bang. We say God created everything. We can't both be right. But the bigger picture and the bigger problem is not the culture around us. It's the culture within us. And we look within the church today, and I think what we should be seeing would be like in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who we are. That's who we should be in the church. You know, the King James says, uh, uh, not just a special people, but a peculiar people. Special is one word. That's one thing. Peculiar sounds like they're a little different. They're not just special. They're weird. And that's what we should be as believers. And it continues that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we ought to see in the church. That's what ought to be going on in the church. But that's not what we're seeing in, in most churches today. In fact, there was a recent survey in the last couple of weeks. I got an email on this and said that nearly 70% of born-again Christians disagree with the biblical position that's not the Baptist position, folks. The biblical position that Jesus is the only way to God. Did you hear that? 70% of, I'm going to say it this way, professing born-again Christians say that they disagree with the statement and the position that Jesus is the only way to God. What? Wait, wait, what? Professing Christians that say that? Um, that's basic Biblical knowledge right there. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. The survey also found that among the top reasons given by born-again Christians for not telling others about their faith is the acceptance of pluralism. Now, some of you are like, like me. You would go, um, what's pluralism? So pluralism is the existence of different types of people who have different beliefs and opinions within the same society. So pluralism within church would be, hey, it's okay if they believe that. It's all right. They would say all roads lead to heaven. There's not just one road. Or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. All right? That doesn't hold water. You can sincerely believe you can fly. Go jump off a five-story building. You'll be sincerely dead. Sincerity is not what it's about. It is not your sincerity. It is what you believe in. And it is, it is the, the foundation of that, that truth. Where do you get the truth? Where is it that you get what you believe? So when asked why they don't share their beliefs with others, uh, these professing born-again responders said this. They said they can get to heaven through their different religious beliefs. This is folks who say they're a born-again Christian, who's saying no, I don't need to share my faith because they can get there their own way. They say we shouldn't impose our ideas on others. They say the Bible tells us not to judge others. But we say there's only one way to heaven, amen? And we say there are, that we are mandated to share our faith with others, amen? And, that, and we say that the Bible teaches that we are to judge, it's one of the biggest lies in, in the world today is, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not judge. There's no period right there. Read it all. Take it all in context. See what the scriptures really say. We are to judge, folks. Not to be judgmental. There's a difference. 
We, we, don't, we are to contend for the faith. We don't have to be contentious. Does that make sense? So we don't have to be judgmental, but we are to judge. We are to, to look and make a discernment and a judgment of truth versus error. And so these, these beliefs, both beliefs cannot be right. If one is right, the other is not right. These are, these are mutually exclusive kind of things. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And there was a statement there. If God is God, serve him, follow him, follow his truths. If, if Baal is God, follow him. Don't be wavering between the two. Joshua 24, 15, and, it seems, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. If you don't think serving God is the right thing, then, then choose who it is you're going to serve. Find out who that is and serve them. Whether the God's... Uh, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites or in, in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a stand. He said, I'm going to serve the Lord. Folks, that's the kind of decision we got to make. We got to decide who it is we're going to serve. And then, and, and, and then if we're going to serve that, how do we know what to do? So how do we know what is truth? In a day where many are telling us there is no truth, that's one of the lies that is being sold to our young people today is there is no truth. You know, everything is true. It's whatever you want truth to be. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. There is a truth. And it's very simple. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And, 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 and so, you know, it's not, a, it's not from man. It's not my opinion. It's not from preferences that we have. It is from the Word of God that we get truth. We have the truth. And the need is for professing born-again believers to live by that truth. Amen? That's the need. So we, we have, we've been given the Word of God, and it contains all that we need for salvation, and it contains all the instructions for how to live our lives now. It's there. It's there for us. So um, how have we gotten here? How is it that we've gotten to this place in America? The problem is that we've, we've drifted away from the book. We, we've lost sight of the book. Jude chapter 4 says, Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are people, there are men who will stand in Bible-believing churches today who truly do not believe God. Either they don't believe He exists or they don't believe His Word is, is true, it's inaccurate. There are men who stand there that are lying from, from the pulpit. There are people who are living that lie in the pew. God forbid, I hope that's not the case. There may be some today that are here under the pretense that I'm a Christian. You, you've, you've shared with others, I'm a Jesus follower, but you don't believe. You truly don't believe. And the problem is here we see with Jude 4 is these ungodly men, they've snuck in, they've come in and they're sowing these lies and the deceit and the deception into the hearts of other people. So what are we to do? And so the topic of our study today and in the, of the days to come is this, is back to the book. That's what we have to do. We have to get back to the book. We've got to get back to the Word of God, the book. So we're going to talk about this morning, and, and I'm not going to go real long. I don't know how far I'll go, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go real long because I know we've had a long service, and I don't want to kill you guys this morning. But uh, we're going back to the book.
So number one there in your notes, we may get through this, we may not, I'm going to move quick, but is the miracle of the Word. So the Word of God has been under attack from the very beginning, amen? So uh, if, if you were there in 2 Timothy with me, turn now to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to read along, I want to highlight some things here. The Word of God has been under attack from the very beginning. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read this. If you've got it on your app or in your scriptures, I hope you've got your book with you. I hope you'll bring your book with you and flip those pages. It encourages this preacher to hear those pages turning. I love to hear it. So y'all help me out with that and bring banana pudding on the... And, you know, those kind of things I throw out there. I like banana pudding and I like the pages turning. So... Y'all help me out with the banana pudding almost every year. So help me out. Turn those pages. So Genesis chapter 3, listen to what it says here. And he said to the woman, uh, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now this is, this is the Satan, the serpent has come into the garden. He slithered up next to, to Eve and here's what he says. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you, that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's some of the things that Satan has done from the very beginning. God told Adam, gave Adam the command, you can eat of anything in this garden but this one tree. This tree, this tree here in the midst of the garden, you don't eat of that fruit. That's the command he gave right there. Now, Satan comes in and he's speaking to Eve and he says, has God indeed said, you know what he did right there? He's sowing doubt. Did, did, did God really say that? He's sowing doubt. But he also, if you read on a little further, he, he, sows, he, he doesn't just sow doubt. He flat out denies because in verse 4 he says, you will not surely die. He's denying what God said. He's directly contradicting what the Lord told him. You eat of that tree, you'll die. Period. He says, oh, you won't surely die. He denies it. But not only that, he also sowed discontentment in the heart of, of Adam and Eve here. Verse 5, he says, And God knows that in the day you eat of that, that, that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what he's done is, he, he, here's the command God gave, don't eat of that fruit. And he says, hey, God, did God really say you can't eat of that? Did he really say that? Is that really what he said? Did he really say you couldn't eat of every tree? Is that really what he said? You know, he didn't. You, you know, you're not going to die. You eat of that fruit, you're not going to die. He's got their eyes off of God and what God said. Now there's this whole, there's the doubt, he's denied the word, and now he's brought this discontentment that, oh man, well if we eat that fruit, God's holding out on us. God's holding out on us. He's got, there's something better that he didn't tell us about. So he's, you're telling us he's holding out on us. So that's what's going on. There's doubt, there's denial, there's discontentment. But, but that's not all Satan did. Satan also, in those questions there, he, he, he questioned, he challenged the authorship. You go back to verse 1 there. He says, has, has God? Has God said God? Did God? Was it really God that said that? Is God really the author? Is he really the one who said that? Or did Adam make that up? Did he give that to you? But then there's, is there authority in that? Did he really say that? Did he say? So he's questioned the authorship. He's, he, he's, he's questioned, the, the uh, challenged the authority of it. 
And he's also challenged the accuracy of it when he says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's challenging the accuracy of what God said. Then he says, you will not surely die. Well, that's not really what God meant. You know, that, that's why he said, listen, when God said, you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. When they ate of the fruit, folks, and we know the rest of the story, what happened? They surely died. They surely died. That instant, spiritually, they died. And at that instant, they began to do something that until that point they had not done, and that was they began to physically die. Up to that point, physically, they were immortal. They would have lived forever. They were beginning to die. So Satan, from the very beginning, you go back to the garden, the word of God has been questioned. It has put this idea of doubt in your mind. That's why it goes back to to chapter 3 right there, right back to the beginning. And the tactic today in our culture and our society around us is to bring doubt upon the word of God. Undermine the very foundational truths from the beginning. Has God really said that? Is that really what he did say? If he said something, is that really what he said? No, no, no. He didn't say that. He said this. And here's the thing. He's holding out on you. Same tactics today, folks. It's the same thing we see. And we must understand that God has indeed said And that he has said through his word, the Bible, and we must live by what it is that he has said. The word of God is that. And so we're going to understand this. So there's a theologian or pastor by the name of Dr. Jerry Harmon, and he gives us two pillars of truth for apologetics. So if you're going to defend your faith, you're going to defend understanding. There's two pillars undergirding foundations of things that we have to to understand and, 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 and accept. And the first is this, is the existence of God. God exists. The second is this, is the authority of the Scripture. You know, if, if I don't believe that this book has authority in my life, then, I, then it's just another book. If I don't believe that this is God's worth and it's authoritative in my life, then I'm not going to live by it. So we have to get back to that and understand why is this book authoritative? So it's the authority of the scriptures we hold to. And if we can settle these two issues, then the rest is just exegesis. It's just a matter of working through the scriptures verse by verse and finding out what God has said and applying those truths to our lives and understanding. So there is a God and he has revealed himself in two ways to us. He's revealed himself in the natural world and that's called general revelation. Look, you walk out of here and you look at the trees and you look at how they they bloom and they grow leaves and they fall off and you look at the wind, you look at the sun rises and sets, rises and sets, rises and sets and it goes on. You look at it at night and you look at the stars, you look at a, a, a worm that crawls up and makes a cocoon and turns into a caterpillar. When we look in the natural world around us, we see the hand of God. It, it is, he has revealed himself to us in a way that there's no way to say there is no God. You know, the Bible says, you know, people say there is no God. There is no God. You know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I honestly don't believe that there's people who truly do not believe in God. I think there's a throwing off of believing in God. There is a resisting and saying I don't believe in God. But if they're going to be honest at the heart of hearts, it is a rejection of the authority of a God in my life. Because if there is a God, then I'm accountable to him. Because if there is a God, I know this, I'm not him. And therefore, I'm accountable to him. 
So he's revealed himself through the natural world, but he's also revealed himself to us through the inspired word, through special revelation. He has worked through miracles. He has worked through prophecies, and he has given us the word of God. We have the word of God, so we don't have to wonder. Francis Schaeffer said this, there is a God, and he is not silent. He is not silent. We can hear from him. So we're going to look at the history of the Bible real quick. How did we get the Bible? Where does this all kind of, where does this come from? Like I said, it's going to take more than one week to get through this. So relax. I'm not going to be here till two o'clock. The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblion. Okay. So the Greek word biblion, which is the word Bible, and it means the book. That's what it means. The book. Luke 4, 16 through 21. We'll just read a couple of those verses. says, so he came to Nazareth. When he had been, uh, when he where he had been brought up, and, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Then he closed the book. The scriptures, even in scroll form, were referred to as the book. That's the, it's Biblion. That's the book. It's the Bible. That's where we get that word. Psalm 40, verse 7, and Hebrews 10, 7 refer to the same thing here. It says, Then I said, Behold, I come. Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Jesus said that. So the word scripture comes from the, word, from the Latin word meaning the writings. So Biblion and Bible is the word for book. The word scripture, we get that from the Latin word, which means the writings. And we find that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 21 says, But I tell you uh, what is noted um, in, the, in, the, in the scripture of truth. That's the word right there for the scriptures. It's the, those writings, the biblical inspired writings. Now, what's the format of the Bible? Most of you would know this. This is, this is uh, maybe basic, but maybe not. Maybe someone here isn't aware of this. But if you take the Bible, the, the Bible is this. This is one book, right? We hold this. This is one book. But it's not simply one book. It is one, how would you say it, one single volume. Let me put it like this. It's, it's a volume. If you, took, if you took a book written by Hamlet and you took out a chapter, would it be a complete book? It would not. And so we have the same situation here. So this, this book here, this single volume, the Bible, it's a library. So this is a single volume right here, library that contains 66 individual books and those 66 individual books are divided into two main categories. You have the Old Testament. There are, tw- there are 39 books there. You have the New Testament, which has 27 books there. And without even one, if anything is missing, if one of those books is missing, you don't have a, the Bible is incomplete. And let me say this, for us as students of the Bible, if we just throw out part of it, it's incomplete for us as a believer. It's incomplete for us. We, we, we take the whole counsel of God from cover to cover. It's all true. It's all inspired. It's all applicable to our lives today. And so we, we take the entire scripture. We, we don't throw out parts. There's there's some that are taking out basically most of the Bible up till you get past Acts. They, they really don't think that applies to our lives today. It all applies to our lives today. It's all truth that God has given us. So then it's broken down. Those you got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament. It's broken down even into smaller divisions. So you, you have things like history and law and prophecy and poetry that, that it's broken to as well. All right, so kind of gives us an overview there. Now, how long did it take to write the Bible? So the answer to that is simple. It was, it was over approximately 1,600 years. 
beginning around 1500 BC up to 100 AD. So we're talking about a 1600 year period that the Bible was written over. And you're going, well, how in the world could one person write the Bible over 1600 years? Well, we're going we're to explain that. So the Bible is not written by uh, one human person. So it was also originally written in multiple languages. The, the, all of the scriptures, when you look at it, wasn't just written. It wasn't all written in Greek. It wasn't all written in Hebrew. There are different languages that it's being written in. And uh, so then the question comes in, all right, so if it's written over 1,600 years in multiple languages, then who actually wrote the Bible? Well, I heard this said this week, and Dave, you, you, you'll remember the conversation, but it was said to me this week, it says, the Bible was written by men. Well, when that statement is made, and I don't think it was the case in, in our conversation, but usually when that statement is made, folks, it, it's a criticism of the Bible. It's, it's, it's trying to undermine the authority of the Bible because, well, the Bible was written. We know it was just written by men. And so because it's written by men, men are imperfect, and therefore the Bible's not perfect. It's really not accurate. That, that's a criticism that, that they would apply to the Word of God. It's a disparaging comment made to question the accuracy and the authority of the Word of God. But let me say this. The statement, the Bible was written by men, the statement is right, and that the statement is wrong. Let me explain it. So if you're going to understand this concept, if you're going to understand this truth here, then you have to understand something called inspiration. We're talking about the inspiration of the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now I'm going to read the rest of the verse. I'm going to highlight that right there. All Scripture, all of it, not part of it, not some of it, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that phrase there, given by inspiration of God, that's um, five letters in our English language, it's, it's, or five words in our English language. It's one word in the Greek, and that word is theop, theopneustos. Okay, and that's a, that's a word. Theopneustos is a word that's made up of two other words. It's two Greek words, the first being theos, which means God. You know, theology, theo, theos, that's, that's the word for God. So it's theopneustos, it's God, and the second word being neuo. And that, that word neuo, P-N-E-U-O, P-N-E-U-O, so you'll, you'll hear the P there. It's silent. Put neuo. So you got theopneustos. Which is, it literally means, that word nuo means to breathe or to blow or it's of the wind. That's what it literally means. So when, we, when that word there, theopneustos, given by inspiration of God, what it means is this. It literally means God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. So we understand that it is inspired by God. So what does that mean, preacher? What does it mean to be inspired by God? What does, how, how can you understand what, I don't understand what that means. God breathed it. Okay, a couple of, a couple of pictures to help you understand. Any, anybody ever watch NASCAR? Any kind of racing at all? Sure. They pull into the pits, they pull in the pits, they jack the car up and they do what? They put a they're going to change the tires and they take a pneumatic, what is it, a pneumatic drill. The, the nuos, the, 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 it's the, it's the war, it's the air. It's a pneumatic drill, right? It's air, it's driven by air. So you take the air hose off of that drill, how good is it? It's useless. You plug the air hose into it, that thing is going crazy. But the drill is driven by the air. It is air-driven. By itself, the drill can't do a thing. So it's, it's worth nothing. It's air that drives it. Second example of this. 
would be, you've seen sailboats. They put the big, they drop, throw their sails up. Old pirate ships. Everybody's watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everybody hated the Bucks a couple of years ago. They get Tom Brady, and now everybody loves Tampa Bay. And so you know the ship we're talking about, and the ship's out there, and the, I think they got one in the stadium there, and it's got the sails up. The idea is that's a sailing vessel, and it is, listen, a sailing vessel is borne along by the wind. So when the wind blows, they use the wind to drive the ship. Okay? Without the wind, what do they do? Kind of useless. The wind drives it. The wind drives that drill. The wind drives that vessel. It's borne along by the wind. So here's the other idea. With this, God breathed. Hear how this works. Inspiration. Let's say... You've probably seen it in movies where there's someone sitting, a a war movie, where there's a general, and the general is dictating a letter. And so there's someone sitting there, and they're going to write the letter, but the general is dictating the letter. So who, who wrote the letter? The general wrote the letter. It's his thoughts. It's his mind. It's his... communicating of ideas whose name is going to be at the bottom of the letter the general now who penned the letter the secretary whoever that is that sat there and so you get the picture of him there and the general's behind him and he's telling him what to write and when the sentence ends and what's the next thought and he's given every thought that is inspiration It is God-breathed. So there were men who wrote the Bible, but they didn't write it. They penned it. The author is God himself. The scriptures that we have today are God-breathed. He's given those. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. So so we have the, the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Word of God is just that. It is the words of God. He inspired it through an author to record it, to write it so that we have it. But these are the words of God that he's given us. They are inspired by God. Acts 1.16, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit of God inspired these writings. So the Bible was inspired by God, penned by 40 different human authors in multiple languages over 1,600 years. Now here's here's the miracle of the Word of God. There are no conflicts or contradictions. He takes a a writer 1500 B.C., and his writing doesn't conflict with the scriptures of 100 A.D. It's all consistent. And listen, the entirety of this book flows with the blood of Jesus Christ. The entire book. It's true. And so, there's what we have. That's just the beginning. Okay? But I want to give it... That's the, the, the introduction of this look as we talk about getting back 
to the book. Not too bad, right? You can still beat the, you can still beat the Methodist to Cracker Barrel this morning. <laughs> Listen, as we, as we open up the word, um, folks, as I introduce, the problems we have in our country today, the problems we have in the church today are because we've gotten away from the book. And if we're going to get back to the book, the first thing we've got to understand that it's not just a book. It's the book, capital T, the book. It is God's book. It is his word to us. And it is a situation Then, if, if the book was inspired by God and, and it's for us, then it would do as much harm to throw off the book. And we're not going to throw the book off here. We're going, to, we're going to stand on the book. We're going to live by the book. We're going to serve by the book. We're going to apply the book to our lives. And uh, so th- that's the thought this morning, is that we're coming back to the book. We've got to reemphasize the scriptures in our lives. Amen? Amen? So this morning, simple, Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come forward. Um, we'll ju- we're, going to, we're going to sing a song here in a moment. We'll stand and sing together. And, and if, if God's speaking to your heart about about anything. I haven't challenged I haven't challenged you with some earth-shaking thing this morning, but maybe this morning you, you would say, you know, preacher, I, I've gotten away from really, really trusting the book or leaning on the book. The Bible is the Word of God. And we've got to submit ourselves to the Word of God. I can't say I love Jesus if I don't love His Word. I can't say I know Jesus if I don't care about His Word and know who He is. And that's where this, these, these misguided beliefs that when the Bible tells us there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, it's because we've gotten away from the book that people would say, oh, it's okay, they can believe whatever. The danger in that is they can't believe whatever way, and that's okay, because if they die in their sin, they're going to go to an eternal hell. And if we care, if we love, We're going to share that truth. So this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's speaking to your heart and telling you, you know what, I need need Jesus. I need a relationship with him. I would invite you. Don't worry about anybody else in here. I'd invite you to step out, come down here. I'd love to take the Bible and just in a couple of moments just show you you, uh, how you this morning can know that you have eternal life. I'm going to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ personally this morning.